This is guaranteed to be the lousiest episode ever. I'm Gavin Pitts. You scream, I scream, we all scream for lice cream. I'm Kevin Leeson. I'd like to be a bigwig, but I don't have the beard to be mayor. I'm Joe Fulgham. We go over this topic with a fine-tooth comb. I'm Torn Atkinson, and this is Caustic Soda. Lice. Lice is nice. Well, what kind of sound does lice make? <laughs> oh, that's the sound of every bug, according it's, to you. It's true. It's true, though. <laughs> Gavin, can't deny it. Gavin Pitts, our uh, guest for today. He could uh, deny it. How do you, uh, what do you think lice sound like? Well, they don't really sound much like anything unless you listen to pop culture and then they're sort of like, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> what about sneaky but, snack? Um, sneaky snack? Mm-hmm. What about yum, 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 yum? <laughs> A lot of that. <laughs> Of course, the singular for lice is louse, which is from Old English loose, which is from Proto-Germanic loose, and from Pre-Indo-European loose. Okay, so they're very <laughs> uh, open about their sexuality. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and they all mean louse. So we've been talking about lice for quite some time. Shocking. Uh-huh. Indeed. And uh, Theraptera is the scientific name. Theraptera. Uh, oh, it sounds like a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. Thera just mean, is an old word meaning louse, and... Um, Aptera just means no wings, so they're wingless. So, so wingless louse. All these like super old words for lice means that we've been living with lice for quite some time, perhaps. Pretty much, uh-huh. probably ever since we, you know, kicked the cave bears out and said that's a good place to sleep for the winter. Uh huh. I totally kicked a cave bear out this morning. In fact, <laughs> get out of my bed, you old cave bear. <laughs> Uh, Leave the lice, though. I'm so sorry, Torrance partner. I'm not going to name. The <laughs> uh, fear of lice is pediculophobia or phthiriophobia. How did I pronounce the the second one? Did I do that one right? Uh, it, it's phthiriophobia yeah, with a P and an H. It's like a the the uh, Lisper's worst nightmare. It's a uh, it's, th- it's theraptera. Is how oh I right, it. yeah, okay. It sounds like Sylvester the cat had something to do with it. <laughs> phthiriophobia. Puffin' the fairest phobia. <laughs> Louse is the common name for members of over 3,000 species of wingless insects. Of 3,000? Uh-huh. 3,000 species. Not but, just individuals. Well, species. Three of which are classified as human disease agents. So only three out of the 3,000 actually affect humans directly. How many lices, lousy, how many lousy lice do you suppose you could have on a, one single person? I guess it depends on the size of the person. Let's say an average mm. person. Let's depends, say on the, depends on the size of the person and yeah. how much clothing they've got on. Uh-huh. Well, let's say, uh, let's say you, Gavin, <laughs> and you're totally naked. And uh, how, you, 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 how many lice can you have? How many lice can you uh, harbor? Mental picture. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, get a good, nice one. Um, probably up to, well, depending on, again, or a, a climate is a factor as well. I'd say several thousand. Whoa. Yeah, um, but at that point in time, you're actually going to feel them crawling over you, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. You are going to be, like, any sane person, <laughs> if, when they got to that number, would, like, just shave all their hair off and get rid of them. Yeah, once well, if, if you're naked, you've probably got a couple of hundred, but, yeah, when you clothe, oh, it goes okay. up, up, up and up exponentially. I can't get a good night's sleep unless I can feel them moving all around my body. It's like a little, <laughs> it's like a little massage. Like a tiny massage. Yeah, a yeah. tiny massage. <laughs> A friend of mine uh, with the there are two types of lice. There's the uh, malophaga, the uh, chewing lice, and the alophaga. Oh, not the alophaga, the other one, the the sucking lice. I'm uh, I'm gonna uh, get to that. 
And uh, a friend of mine who's a zookeeper was uh, giving a health check to a peacock. Oh, oh. And, and the peacock's lice decided it was time to abandon ship. <laughs> and oh. um, he had uh, extensive body hair and a beard. Oh, no. And uh. needless to say, they found a new home very quickly. And he was running around the zoo screaming quite loudly. <laughs> oh, peacock uh, lice! Get away saying, from me! He, he was saying he could feel them in his beard for like hours <laughs> afterwards. Right. Now, but these are... These... He went and jumped in the tiger pool <laughs> just to get some relief. <laughs> That's right. And then he'd be have a tiger infestation, yeah. uh-huh. which is a little worse than I've a lice infestation. i got tigers all over me and lice. Today <laughs> it's getting worse and worse all the time. <laughs> I would probably prefer lice bites to tiger bites, but that's uh, just one man's preference, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, after seeing a thing on the internet a little while ago about some guy stuck his arm in the tiger cage, I think I would agree. Oh, yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, but lice don't, uh, tigers don't give you typhus. <laughs> mm. uh, they just true. rip your head off. That is yeah. true. Uh, lice are obligate ectoparasites of every avian and mammalian order, except for monotremes, which include <laughs> the platypus. And, uh, the and the spiny anteater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bats, whales, dolphins, porpoises, and pangolins. Oh, now what does obligate mean? It means they have to do it. Uh, right. If they don't do it, they'll die. Like yeah. uh, you know, like a lion is an obligate carnivore. Right. You can't feed, you can't give a lion celery. Despite what I saw in Futurama, <laughs> 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 they're obligated to ectoparasite you. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ecto meaning slime. <laughs> I don't think ecto <laughs> means slime. Oh. It means they're external parasites. They're on right. the outside of you, rather. Lo- a uh, tapeworm is an endoparasite. It's inside you. Oh, okay. So ectoplasm is uh, plasma outside. So the ecto one is the outside one, and there's no endo <laughs> one, which is too bad. Mm-hmm. The endo uh, one is you, the, you the want, bed that they sleep in before they go down the fire pole. Okay. You want a Ghostbusters vehicle inside of you? <laughs> kind of. Oh, well, that, that's that's the one they used to tunnel through the marshmallow man at the end. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, the endo one is like that kind of with a drill at the front. <laughs> or, yeah, it's the tiny sub that they shrink down and inject into giant right. monsters in order to go to their heart, you know, like the, the incredible journey. And it's called that because it goes in your endo. There you mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Uh, female lice are usually more common than males, and some species are even known to be parthenogenetic, a form of yep. asexual reproduction in which growth and development of embryos occur without fertilization. That's where the lady makes clones of herself. Yes? Yeah, yes. yeah. Usually clones. Um yeah, well, almost always clones. Yeah, they don't necessarily need a male. Right. Uh, it's not uncommon in insects. Mm-hmm. Uh, lice are optimal model organisms to study the ecology of contagious pathogens since their quantities, sex ratios, etc. are easier to quantify than those of other pathogens. Oh. The number of cases of human louse infestations has increased worldwide since the mid-1960s, reaching hundreds of millions annually. Is that because of the sexual revolution? Uh, <laughs> to, I well, don't... He- he said worldwide, so yeah. sexual revolution is mostly North America. No, I think it's just like something being parasitic and being very hard to get rid of, and so they kind of spread, right? Oh. Gavin? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, plus also uh, people living in family groups and yeah. close contact, and if they share clothes. And population density. Population you density. Know, as that goes up, you're more likely to bump into somebody who's got lice, so you're more likely to get lice. Well, and when there were only- Or a peacock. And when there were <laughs> only 100 million people on the planet, it was much more difficult for 100 million of them to be infested. Right. Just, Whereas now we have- They're also spread apart. Yeah. Now we have 7 billion, so a couple hundred million, no big deal. Once again, the solution to a problem is stop making so many babies. Mm-hmm. 
Girls are two to four times more frequently infested than boys, meaning oh. girls are dirty little fiends. Yeah. Uh, children between four. I always have to check under the breasts. Oh, really? Just all around the breasts. For just lice. Always checking the that breasts. That is a for curious, lice, yeah. curious yeah, location on the body. I'm hiding around Ugh, the nipples. I, I just I, went Gaia. I, 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 I get what you're saying, but weren't we just talking about little girls? Yeah, no, we're talking about children between four and thirteen years. Oh, of I withdraw them. I withdraw them. Yeah, statement. thank you. Okay, <laughs> uh, which are the most frequently infested demographic? Uh, primarily because they're dirty little fiends. <laughs> Probably because, again, they're if they're in a school environment and things, they they're in close contact. Girls are more sherry. Yeah, mm, uh, some it's some of them some are named studies sherry. have proved that some studies have suggested that uh, young, it's particularly blonde girls have. Uh, a particular attraction for parasitic insects like mosquitoes and things, so it might be the same thing of lice. Oh, yeah. do lice prefer blondes? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Little girls tend to have longer hair. Yeah, that yeah. might. Yeah. Uh, it's probably that. Something else it's probably that the they have longer hair, and also, yeah, or well, the congregation of any child, of course. So, you know, when they're in a crèche or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like and a Rapunzel moment. She's hanging her hair out of the uh, tower, so the lice can crawl up it. <laughs> I wonder if there's going to be some change to that because we're kind of seeing some some uh, modifications to gender norms these days, where like boys can just grow their hair long if they want, even when they're young kids. Their parents are being a little yeah. more open. I wonder if we're going That's to see like a change. In a small in those part results. of the world, though, it kind of is. Yeah, yeah. I'm niche. wondering if in okay in those populations, if we're going to see a difference. Yeah, maybe, yeah. perhaps. Lice or in a hippie commune in the '60s or '70s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lice rampant. Dirty do, hippies. Do you, do you call a lice scientist a patheraraptologist or something like what was, what was, what was the name? Uh, Probably you would call them a theraptorologist, but entomologist fits because they're insects. So, and it's also easier on everybody's tongues, I think. Yeah. All right, fine. Who uh, wants to be easy on people's tongues? <laughs> lice, as Gavin mentioned earlier, lice are divided into two suborders. Malophagia, which are chewing lice. Obligate parasites of birds, which primarily eat feathers and skin scales, do not feed on humans. Oh. And animal. What about the peacock? What about the peacock? Well, they weren't eating him. They were just crawling on him. Oh, they were just waiting for him to pass closer to another bird. Yeah, they weren't weren't going to, like, set up shop. They were just uh, taking a ride. Okay. They're like, abandon this ship. It's going down. Get on that iceberg. (laughs) Now, why would uh, lice abandon a peacock? Because maybe there were too many. Too many. And and so. Uh, I think uh, it was in its uh, final throes, shall we say. So lice will abandon a, a dying. Or dead. Ooh, they have like host. a sixth sense when, as to when their host is. Well, they can die. they can feel the they can feel the body temperature going down. Right, and they're, right. they're going. Holy crap! If we stay here, we're screwed. So they yeah. they they. The look first for thing that host. came along that was even slightly warm, they were like, "Woohoo!" So yeah, taking a ride on the SS human. This is how and we get rid of lice. You you inject somebody with a drug that lowers your body temperature and makes the lice think you're going to die, and they go ah and run away. <laughs> or and this is why fun. ninjas don't have any lice because they can lower their uh, all their you know functions to you know pure, <laughs> almost comatic level, right? You go but back then to they, a ninja then you episode. just get you just get adapting ninja lice after that. That's <laughs> oh. Yeah, what they call the uh, cryo lice. Oh, yeah? That's right. Because they cry all the time? Yeah. Because they're not as warm as they were before? Ice lice. (laughs) So we're not going to talk about malophagia, really, um, because they feed only on animals. Uh, But there is one in particular that Gavin would like to bring up. Uh, Oh, yes. The uh, one that's named after a certain uh, cartoonist of zoological renown. Yeah, this is the uh, Strigophilus Gary Larsoni. 
Yep, the one man who uh, drew and wrote The Far Side uh, from, I think it was in the early 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, this is a species found only on owls. Is named after the creator of the Far Side comic strip. Because is that because he loves owls or because he loves lice? No, because the scientist who discovered them likes Far Side cartoons. Oh, I see. That's right. He saw uh, a Far Side cartoon that day and really hit home to him, and he's like, "I'm gonna give something back." <laughs> In response, uh, when he was alerted to the honor, uh, Gary Larson stated. I considered this an extreme honor. Besides, I know I knew no one was going to write and ask to name a new species of swan after me. Right. You have to grab these opportunities when they come along. It's a good Gary Larson impression. Uh, I was not 100% sure. I have no idea what he would talk like. <laughs> I, my guess would be nothing like that. He talks imperiously, I predict. Yeah, sure. <laughs> because he seems so stuffy. Mm-hmm, totally. <laughs> uh, so we're going to spend most of the episode talking about anaplura, sucking lice. <laughs> That include yep. the three types that parasitize humans. Human body louse, pediculosis corpus. Pediculo, pediculi, pediculo, pediculi. Osis. Carry on. This is the original louse that sought out humans. We caught them from close contact, air quote that heavily, with <laughs> chimpanzees. It lives only on the trunk and limbs and lays eggs in the clothing. We talked about this at length during our apes episode. We just wanted to cuddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for <laughs> warmth or whatnot. Clearly platonic. Mm-hmm. We're just good friends. <laughs> I never cuddle the chimps after we have our relations. Oh, really? Oh. No, because you don't want to get lice. Just get yeah. in, get out. Done. <laughs> Literally. It's the way they like it anyway. So if you want to hear about uh, you know what close contact potentially means, go back and listen to our apes episode. Uh-huh. Very interesting stuff. The human head louse, pediculosis capitus. Ooh. This evolved from the body louse. Lives only on the hair of the human head, lays eggs on the hair shaft. So you couldn't. So oh, they stay put <laughs> where they. You know, the two yeah. types, or all three types, I should say, with the pubic louse as well. They they don't intermingle. They stay on the area of the body where they are most comfortable. Although in the lab you can make them uh, adapt. You can force them. You, yeah, pretty much. Or you you can displace them and they'll go, what, this isn't right, and they'll try and get back. But if you block them, they'll sit there and go, oh, uh. all right. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, in, in, but we're going to be wild, grumpy they, about it. They, in the wild, you'd never find like a, a pubic louse on your head or a head or a head louse in your pubes. And that's why I don't go into the wild. Oh, Because that's just wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah? Okay. Right. It's the, <laughs> it's the, the location the of your order. lice. Yeah. That's the reason you don't go out in the wild. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, as Gavin just mentioned, the third kind of louse that infests humans is the pubic louse. The phthoris pubis. <laughs> uh, completely unrelated to the two other species. What do you mean, completely unrelated? Well, uh, this evolved from the gorilla louse, the phthoris gorilla, <laughs> through close contact. <laughs> Vaguely decapod appearance leads them to their common name, crabs. Lays yeah. eggs on thick, curly pubic hair or eyebrows. So why do we even call them lice then, if they're completely different? Well, they are they're lice. They're still lice. It's okay. just that they're not directly related to the other two. Yeah, so you got your peacock lice, right? That sure, won't, sure do. That won't feed on humans, right? They're so beautiful the way they spread their... Plumage. A beautiful <laughs> plumage. <laughs> and then, But then you've got two different types of human lice. One that infects the body and the head. Yeah. And then the one that infects only the uh, dong region. Are there any <laughs> pubic lice that uh, infest other animals besides people or primates? Yes, yeah, so we got them from the gorilla lice, right? Well, that's a primate. Yeah, uh, yeah, as far as I know, no. You don't, don't have peacock so. pubic lice. You just have 
peacock lice. Yeah, oh, well, uh, the, the Malafaga, they're very, very host-specific, and as well as that, they're very region-specific. Like, you can have a type of louse that only lives on a particular species of duck, and um, each of them will only, like, one will stay on the head, one okay. will stay on, like, near the ear, one will stay near the beak, one will stay on the foot. Oh um, <laughs> and they'll never move and never um, never explore anywhere else. Wow. This is why uh, we have you can, you can have like a, one yeah. duck with like seven or eight different types of lice all living in different areas and different communities. Oh, nature. So and it's all its grandeur. So segregation it. is alive and well. We've got to bring the civil rights movement to lice. <laughs> well, I just like to think they're kind of like hobbits, you know. They're just happy where they are, living their little holes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, one of them goes off on an adventure, heads up from the <laughs> heads up from the ear and down the back to the groin area and is like, Oh, it's so fun fighting this giant dragon here. There and back again with Lilbo Laos. That's right. <laughs> so when you see like the electron microscope images of the uh, pubic lice, they are really fearful looking. Like, uh, I, th- I think they're kind of cute in their own way. That's why you're an entomologist and the rest of yeah, us are not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> really, uh, cute. All right, well, we'll put an image up of the uh, pubic louse on CosmicSodaPodcast.com, so all you listeners, go and check out what Gavin thinks is cute. If you were... Oh, look at him. He's sitting there holding the, the little hair shaft, and he's saying, look at my little claws and my little, little <laughs> antennae. And he's, oh. Let's imagine that the pubic louse and the head louse uh, were the size of a rhino. Uh-huh. Which one would you rather have charging towards you? A rhino or a pubic louse? No, no, it's the pubic... They're all the si- everything's the size of a rhino. Okay. But you have a pubic house. A pub- yeah. It's the size of a house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the pubic house. Uh, the louse house. The hair louse. What do you call that one? The regular head louse? The head louse. The uh-huh. pediculus capitus. Uh-huh. Size of a rhino. Yeah. And then you have f- 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 crabs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the size of a rhino. Which one do you want charging towards you? Oh, I'd say the head louse because the, the crab louse is, looks much more armored. Yeah, yes. it would probably do you a lot more damage. The crab louse, right, would, if it was that size, it would look like those uh, those robots from the third edition of Robotech. Okay. The ones where they, uh, you know, where you got wow, the motorcycle that is specific. ones. <laughs> yeah, where you got oh, the motorcycle yeah. ones. Yeah, you yeah, just, yeah. You totally just the cyclones. me. They were called Cyclones. Yeah, yeah. And they, they were the, the alien ships they were fighting in that series uh, look yeah. very much like a rhino size. And the headlocks have that long uh, extended back end that makes them look like just troop carriers rather than like yeah. fighting vehicles. Yes. I feel tremendous shame that I just got out nerded from Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the entomologist in me has to point out that if they were the size of a rhino, they'd take like two steps and drop dead <laughs> because they wouldn't be able to right. breathe. Uh, right. But, um, you know... Oh. Uh, you, Don't you, go you, getting science into our I know, I know. I Gavin. can't watch giant bug movies without... Mention well, actually, and then people say, "Shut up." <laughs> They're also cyborgs. Uh, <laughs> so, anybody want to do a little short pop quiz? Sure. Woo-hoo. I'm <laughs> All right. What is spontaneous generation? What is spontaneous generation? I know. <laughs> well, I know what those two words mean. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about specifically, having to do with lice. Is is that when they just when they asexually reproduce and create a whole bunch? Uh, no, this is the theory that yeah. Aristotle posited, oh. <clears throat> that lice were, in fact, created via spontaneous generation of oh, 350 yeah, they just appeared. Uh, <laughs> right. And uh, here's, a, uh, here's a quote from Aristotle. Okay. Lice are generated out of the flesh of animals. When lice are coming, there is a kind of small eruption visible. <laughs> and if you prick an animal in this condition, the lice jump out. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
<laughs> that seems reasonable. Yeah, so uh, basically they thought that lice and fleas and other sort of infestation animals actually came from within humans. And they we had them kind of lying under our skin and they would come popping out. Not that they had actually created the eruption by biting us, but in fact the opposite wasn't right. true. Yeah, he also thought that uh, dead animals spontaneously generated bees. So you know, he didn't even you know he didn't even get close enough to think. Oh wait, these are flies, not bees. So he should he should have <laughs> stuck maybe more to philosophy and a little less to entomology. Obviously, mm, mm, yeah. This is why he isn't referred to as the father of entomology. No. <laughs> so when was spontaneous generation conclusively disproven? Oh, what what's the date today? Uh today is <laughs> today is we're in 2014. Okay, January 12th. Uh huh. So we're recording. I'm going to say, oh, 1722. Joe? Uh, 1580. Uh, Gavin, you have a guess? I'll say about the 1600s or 1950 in Kansas. (laughs) Uh, 1864. Hmm. 1864, Louis Pasteur wrote a paper conclusively disproving uh, spontaneous generation. And then he put it in his milk. (laughs) Yeah, that's how we, that's what the, that was the first less successful pasteurization process. <laughs> that's right, uh, lyserization. Yes. Yeah. If I had enough lice, they'll eat all the bad stuff in here. <laughs> uh, can lice jump? Yes, I say yes. Ooh, I know fleas. Are we talking about, <laughs> wait, wait. Are we talking about white lice or black lice? <laughs> oh, boo! White lice can't jump. I saw that movie. <laughs> that's right. I think lice well, it, can't jump. I think we're getting them confused with fleas and ticks. Yeah, they can't jump, but uh, there's certain certain aspects of the head lice that makes it look like they can, but they can't. Oh, but they can skip. Mm. Well, like, like a stone across water? No, like... <laughs> well, no, if, tra-la-la, if you're... Tra-la-la. If you're <laughs> If you're next to someone who's like like in a bathroom, and you're like got both one person has lice, the other person doesn't, and you're combing your hair. Yeah, uh, there is evidence to suggest that the static electricity from the hair combing will fling them at the other person. Oh, what oh. if you're at a heavy metal concert and there's a lot of long-haired uh, stoners <laughs> rock banging, rocking out? No, they they would like hold on to that shaft extra tight. Yeah, yeah, they do have a very good grip, but yeah, okay. static mm-hmm. electricity can fling them at unwary hair combing <laughs> people. <laughs> Ride the lightning, lice. <laughs> nice. Lice cannot fly and they cannot jump. They move only by crawling. That is why direct head-to-head contact or sharing of clothes is the most common way for lice to spread from right. one person to another. Uh, or static electricity from combing, evidently. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. Imagine if we could do that. We could generate enough static electricity to like, fling people. This, right, this is why so many school kids get head lice, I because they go to the biology class or the science class and they stand on that Van de Graaff generator thing and then the lice just get flung all over the room. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, this is a new attack vector for Electro, Spider-Man's villain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he just gets himself uh, infested with lice and then stands in a room and... <laughs> what is a nymph? It's a very oh. sexy. <laughs> is nymph is a is a stage of life of animals, but I can't remember which of of the I can't remember which one it is. It's a juvenile, juvenile. Yeah, that's well, it. Juvenile. Pre pre adult, uh, and well, they come in several molts before yeah, they I mean, become reproductive. Lice are exopterigotes. Exopterigotes. As, uh, did I pronounce that correctly, Kevin? Yeah, more or less. <laughs> how, much, how much bigger are those than regular goats? <laughs> They're exopter. Uh, that means they fly. They have rotating blades on top of them. Exopter goats. Oh, I see. Yeah. 
I, which means that lice are born as miniature versions of the adult. These are known as nymphs. Young lice will molt three times before reaching full adult form, usually within a single month of hatching. Yeah, they don't go through a full metamorphosis like a caterpillar into a butterfly, in other words. Yeah, it, yeah they don't change from one thing to another. They always kind of look like a lice. They just right. go from super small yeah. to big. Do head lice have a preference of hair type? Ooh. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say yes because we mentioned the blondes before, so yeah. Uh-huh. I agree. Well, I don't know about the preference for blondes. I mean, Gavin has obviously thrown that into the mix, but I was speaking specifically about the fact that African-Americans <laughs> have a much lower incidence of head lice than Caucasian, Hispanic, or Asian-Americans. Oh, yeah. curly hair versus straight hair? Is that what we're talking about? The yeah, incidence of the among- shape of the hair follicle, most likely. Correct. The incidence among African-American school children is less than half of 1%. Wow. While among non-black schoolmates, it so averages at more than 10%. 110%. Wait, wait. 10% of non-black kids have lice? At some point in time or another, uh, At yeah. some point. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. We, we whiteies are just awfully dirty. <laughs> yeah. And African-American school children is less than half of 1%. So 1 20th yeah. incident. So pretty significant. Caucasian hair tends to be sort of like oval. And um, black hair tends to be you know, more round, and so they have a, um, the claws have a hard, or the claws of the louse have a harder time hanging on. Oh, yeah. Different okay. shape of hair. The U.S. has almost exclusively European head lice, uh, which have difficulty gripping African hair in their claws, making them easier to dislodge. Huh. Uh, European con- colonists brought head lice with them to America. Uh, in African countries, native children are infested at a higher rate, but their head lice are adapted to hang on to the oval cross-section of curly hairs. Okay. Uh, do lice carry and transmit disease? Oh, yes. yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, they How do. could they not? <laughs> uh, head lice, no. Pubic lice, no. Body lice, yes. Yes, yeah, oh. big tick on the body lice. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, there's a big tick on it? <laughs> yeah, body <laughs> lice have their own ticks now? <laughs> uh, although head and pubic lice can cause intense itching and the skin can become infected from scratching yes. the irritation, uh, they are actually not a vector for disease in and of themselves. Okay. Oh. Uh, how long away from a host can lice survive? Not well, since long. they're obligates, I'm going to say, yeah, not very long. Um, I don't even know how long. Did we talk about how long they live normally? No, uh, we haven't yet. Considering they have to eat and they're tiny, I, I'm going to say less than a day. I'm going to say three days. Yeah. Assuming they leave the scalp and do not find another host or not able to find their way back to the original host, a head louse will starve within one to two days. Hmm. Here we go. So right in between there. So I guess that uh, that's a nice sw- segue into vectors for disease. <gasps> that's me. That's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I want to start off this section with a callback to our trench warfare episode. Oh, yeah? Because in trench warfare, various methods were used to remove the lice. A lighted candle was fairly effective, but the skill of burning the lice without burning your clothes <laughs> was only learned with practice. Right. And of course, we're talking about body lice that are infesting your clothes. Yep. They didn't George- just set your hair on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't go full Michael Jackson. George Coppard described how this worked. Oh, his name was Copper? Coppard. Coppard. Oh. Coppard. oh, okay. Coppard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things lay in your seams. Oh, I'll do James Mason. The things lay in the seams of trousers and the deep furrows of long, thick, woolly pants and seemed impregnable to their deep entrenchments. 
A lighted candle applied where they were thickest made them pop like Chinese crackers. Oh, nice. After a session of this, my face would be covered with small blood spots from extra big fellows, which had popped too vigorously. <laughs> How dare he pop so vigorously? <laughs> uh, and yeah, of course, they carried disease, specifically pyrexia. Oh, oh, that, uh, that's that glass stuff that you hold lice in, obviously, <laughs> yes. right? Uh-huh. Also known as five-day fever. How long does that last? Five-day oh. fever. Mm, 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 mm. All I know is Ted Nugent sung about it. Also known as trench fever. <laughs> oh, that sounds like the kind of fever you get in your bum. Yep. <laughs> A disease transmitted exclusively by lice caused by the bacterium Bartonella quintana. Bartonella Quintana. Is that, uh, is that named after those uh, uh, Mexican birthdays that they give teenage girls? It's no, a rejected no, 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 song no, no, no. from The Lion King, I thought. <laughs> Which Hakuna <is>. Quintana. <laughs> like how you're singing it to the tune of, uh, do you like pina coladas? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> Which is found in the stomach walls of the body louse and is closely related to Bartonella hensilae, the agent of cat scratch fever. Ah, totally called it. The disease is a relapsing five-day fever that has a long two-week incubation period with a sudden onset of symptoms, high fever, severe headache, pain on moving the eyeballs. Ooh, I like moving my eyeballs, though. (laughs) Sometimes I do it a little bit. Uh Soreness of the muscles... Torn, the bonus, if you move your eyeballs, you don't have to move your head as much. Oh, that's right? true. That's true. You know? I guess, though, if you do have it, you can just, like, uh, rotate. You can just rotate move, your whole move body. Your yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You also have soreness in the muscles in the legs and back. Uh. And frequent hyperesthesia of the shins. Who knows what hyperesthesia means? Uh, it makes you forget you have shins? Uh, esthesia <laughs> means uh, feeling, so uh, do you become incredibly sensitive? An abnormal increase in sensitivity to stimuli. Oh, yeah. In your shins? In your shins. So oh, like, I can the... feel everything through my shins right <laughs> yeah. now. So oh, they're really God. good football players for five days. So it's, this is like you putting your shins on ecstasy? Like you just like I want everybody to touch your shins? You, you become, don't want anybody to touch your shins? You don't want anyone to touch your shins. You become the shin version of Daredevil. You can sense everything in the room by the vibrations <laughs> right. affecting your shins. Shins, shin echolocation. So Gavin, Echo- would this be like the worst shin splints ever or what? Probably. You could probably put on a uh, spandex suit and call yourself leg man. There you go. <laughs> I'm a leg man. That, that's your professional diagnosis? The most constant symptom is pain in the legs. Yeah. Ah. Recovery takes at least a month. Lethal cases are rare, but persistent fever could lead to heart failure. Yeah, and that'll do it. Lasting after effects may include fatigue, anxiety, headache, nerve pain, depressed mood, cardiac disturbances, and persistent muscle pain. Trench fever widely infected armies in Europe, Italy, a bunch of other places. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, three noted sufferers were authors J.R.R. Tolkien, A.A. Milne, and C.S. Lewis. Ah, the the all abbreviation squad. You get infected with creativity as well. Uh (laughs) Oh, it came from the lice? Well, three authors. Bartonella. (laughs) I mean, uh, that Bart guy, he's he's their muse. It's Bart and Ella. (laughs) Bart and Ella. Don't Bart have a louse, Tanella man. Show. Twenty percent of German troops and between twenty to thirty percent of British troops reported trench fever. Although the disease did not kill, it did stop soldiers from fighting and accounted for about fifteen percent of all cases of sickness. Do you think the Germans shouted that across the trenches? Ha ha! Fifty percent more of you have lice than us. <laughs> the British army. The disease persists today among the homeless, and outbreaks have been documented in Seattle and Baltimore. 
among uh, injection drug users and in Marseille, France, and Burundi. Wow. So it, uh, it pockets. Yeah. There's pockets of Disparate. trench fever still going around. Now let's talk about typhus. Yeah, that's a nasty All right. One. The typhus <laughs> virus is carried in body louse feces. Oh. oh. It just gets worse. So hold on a sec. So it's uh, the first one, trench fever. They bite you and they pass along because the, the, uh, bacteria. the bacteria lives in their stomach. Yeah. This one, they bite you and then they shit in the bite. <laughs> and that's how you <laughs> the get bite it. Hole. Well, when they bite, they they um you know they poop out the ex- excess uh, water and things because they don't necessarily need it all, so right. they poop and bite at the same time. So yeah, the the germs that are in the feces would come out and probably hit the wound or be scratched into it when you start itching. All right, everybody, be perfectly honest. Have yeah. you ever eaten on the I, toilet? Yes. You have eaten on yeah, the toilet. Of course, I have. You, sometimes you're in a hurry. <laughs> have you ever eaten on the toilet? Not probably. In a million years. What? <laughs> probably. I have. Gavin? Listen, no it's not way. regular. This is not I a have... regular thing. But once in a while, you're like, you gotta, you gotta go to the bathroom. You gotta get that food down. You gotta get out the door. So once in a while. So you've done this more than once. Uh, <laughs> I'm not taking count. I didn't do it this morning. <laughs> right. You've done it more than once. I have, sure. a, little, I have yeah. a little chart by my by my toilet. Yeah, a little, uh, a little, <laughs> a little calendar. A little... What am I gonna do? Infect myself with something? <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I can definitively say that I have never eaten anything. And some of the food I, can, I eat I tastes like either. crap anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and I wipe after. Like, like it's not like I'm wiping and then grabbing the sandwich and eating it. Sometimes I'm just sitting he's got down. the sandwich in the wrapper, yeah. and then he doesn't want to. He's too lazy to get the toilet paper, so he just wraps. He eats, finishes the sandwich, and wraps his bum with the sandwich wrapper. This is called efficiency, Torin. I, I agree. <laughs> I strongly agree. <laughs> I strongly disagree, and I think Gavin's on my side. If you're in the woods and you don't even have a toilet, you can eat your sandwich out of the bag and then poop in the bag. Ugh. No torn lights to do that. Call back to our feces episode. Poop in a bag. <laughs> also, when you eat, when you're eating while you're while something's going in, while something's coming out at the same time, it makes you feel like really part of the universe. The circle <laughs> of life. Canadian men just suddenly became somewhat less attractive. <laughs> Gavin, we're not all like these freaks. Yes, <laughs> this is true. I am. It's totally. I totally am, Gavin. Stop oh, hitting on me. I'm going to start calling <laughs> you people lice. Louse number one and louse number two. The typhus virus is carried in body louse feces and is transmitted when the louse defecates on a host and the host scratches mm. the bite which introduces the feces and the virus into the wound. Uh, uh, boo. Symptoms <laughs> include uh-huh. death, severe headache, <laughs> uh-huh. a sustained high fever, okay. cough, mm-hmm. rash, uh-huh. severe muscle pain. And uh, by rash, you mean Jim Rash, the actor from Community? Yeah, he might show up. Yeah, you can show up and <laughs> There's just a chance. start... Uh, that is Cracking super, jokes at you. I don't even know. Who does he play? Uh, he plays the dean. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he's great. I he's know. an Academy Award winning writer. I, oh, okay. He's fantastic. I didn't know that I'm going to get typhus right now. <laughs> Just because you want to meet Jim Rash. That guy's hilarious. Also, Community's back, and holy crap, it's been good. It's been really yeah. good. Yeah. Severe muscle pain, chills, confusion. Oh, I'm confused as why I feel so shitty. Stupor. Mm-hmm. Sensitivity to light. Ooh. Well, De- you, you, you have typhus right now, Torn. Delirium. <laughs> Uh-huh. You've got persistent typhus and death. Two, ah. two of the endless uh-huh. doesn't cause dreaming or despair. No <laughs> desire. A rash Daniel. begins on the. <laughs> you get it from desire. A rash begins. That's true. A rash begins on the chest about five days after the fever appears and spreads to the trunk. If you're oh. an elephant, uh-huh. yeah, and extremities. I like my extremities. Uh, uh. In the Middle Ages, typhus was quite common in prisons, where it was known as jail fever. Uh, it, 
Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, if you get it in jail, that makes sense. Though, of course, it was spelled G A O L back then. <laughs> oh, gay yeah. old fever. A gay old fever. Oh, it's not a gay old time. But it's pronounced. It's still pronounced jail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't know how to spell things. These um, up. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got it wrong back then when yeah. you spelled it that way. Yeah. All of you decided that was the way it was spelled. How wrong was that? Yeah, totally. It's okay. We're wrong right now about a whole bunch of things. <laughs> These outbreaks were exacerbated because prisoners were placed together in dark, filthy rooms where lice spread easily. If a prisoner was held over for imprisonment until the next term of court under these conditions, it was often equivalent to a death sentence. Plus, oh. they wouldn't have changed their clothes very often, and that's where the no. body lice lay their eggs. Mm-hmm. It was such an infectious combination, prisoners brought before the court sometimes infected the court itself. <laughs> <laughs> Revenge, justice, back yep. at you. <laughs> Your Honor, just to show you there's no hard feelings, I'd like to give you a big hug. <laughs> He's combing his hair like mad. Yeah. He's like, yeah, Revenge! Rubbing, balloo- rubbing balloons on his head to create <laughs> static electricity. <laughs> Revenge! In Canada, the typhus epidemic of 1847 killed more than 20,000 people from 1847 to 1848. Wow. Mainly Irish immigrants in fever sheds. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they would, uh, those coffin ships would then dump them off in fever sheds. Yeah. I bet you they didn't put that on the tourism brochure. (laughs) The coffin. Come over in a coffin ship and hang out in our fever shed. Uh, And meet Jim Rash. mm -hmm. Uh That's where he got started, doing uh, stand-up. Typhus decimated the Eastern Front during World War I, but not the Western Front. Oh. The outbreak began in Serbia and spread through both the Serbian Army and their Australian POWs. By April 1915, there were 10,000 new cases a day, and one in six people were sick. 200,000 Serbs and half of all Australian POWs, around 70,000, perished. Wow. Wow. From typhus. A quarter of a million people died from typhus. Not even the war. No, most more people died from from the uh, louse than did from the bullets and the uh, mortars yeah. and all that kind of stuff. That's why you want to fill your the barrel of your gun up with lice. You get a better chance. Oh yeah, of <laughs> getting the enemy. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it sounds like it's a much more miserable way to go. I think that they made that a war crime. Yeah, they <laughs> or should will. have. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. Did that, so we'll get yeah. back to those later. Yeah. <laughs> In 1917, after the overthrow of the Russian Tsar, the state was in an upheaval, and medical services were difficult to come by. Over the next five years, 20 to 30 million were infected with typhus typhus from lice, and around 10 million died. What? How come there are any Russians left? Like, after you take this, plus, you know, the uh, World War II, plus the Stalin purges, like, how is it there any Russians left? Oh, this it's is such why a big country. This Good is why Lord. every Russian that's left is a fucking badass. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Jesus. I wonder- Lenin stated, "Either socialism will defeat the Laos, or the Laos will defeat socialism." Oh wow! Yeah, I can imagine because yeah, that was uh, they were in the middle of the civil war, fighting between the uh, Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. The white armies and the red armies and all the rest of that jazz. All those many different colored armies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense, because if uh, the the socialists got more typhus than the uh, than the than the non socialists, you could uh, it would hurt their war effort. God, Rasputin must have been like a louse all you can eat buffet, wouldn't he? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah, with that beard, he was totally hairy, and he was fucking everything. And he never changed <laughs> yeah. his clothes. Yeah. yeah, he was supposed to stink, wasn't he? He was yeah. like yeah. renowned for the stench. He's like a wandering monk dude, so yeah, not a lot of laundromats in and uh, the wandering yeah. louse farm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Public service announcement. 
<laughs> How do we get rid of lice? Shake them off. Oh, yeah? You just uh, jump up and down until they all fall off? They yeah. got those little claws. They're holding on to our oval hairs. Shake uh-huh. harder. <laughs> <laughs> really? How hard do you think you jump, get jumping one of those paint can shakers? Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, I'll just, I'll just ride one of those bulls in the uh, Country Western Bar. I'm willing to try this. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do a topless. Okay. Uh, uh, now, you might get a little bit of shaken baby syndrome were you to do that. Perhaps <laughs> uh, might not be good for the old uh, gray matter. Oh, yeah. Detection is key. Sure. Uh, the use of a louse comb is the most effective way mm. to detect living lice. Mm. This is uh, on the head, in, yeah, head lice, yeah. Yeah, in this, cases This is a children. comb that's made of other lice that are <laughs> attracted. Yes, yes. As, as homeopaths will tell you, like cures like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this is a uh, a comb with incredibly small spaces between the tines. Oh, a very yeah. fine comb. Very that's fine That's where comb. fine-tooth comb comes from. It's from uh, ah. lousing combs. Mm-hmm. I'm going over, Kevin, with a fine-tooth comb. <laughs> uh, in the cases of children with long and or curly frizzy hair, which makes use of a uh, lice comb difficult, examination by parting the hair at two centimeter intervals to look for moving lice near the scalp is the most effective backup. Sure. For people in the four countries not using metric, that's a little less than an inch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, special attention should be paid to the area near the ears and the nape of the neck. Oh, the nape, you say. Uh, Gavin, why do they like to collect near the ears and nape of the neck? Or is that just easier to spot? It's easier to it's easier to spot them because you know uh. they're they're fleeing from any uh, any water or any gunk you're putting on to get rid of them. So they'll go, you know, they'll stop briefly. And also, you can also see see them congregate there because the skin is bare, but there's still a little bit of air there. So it's kind of like uh, you know punk kids hanging out at the Seven Eleven on the corner after school. <laughs> you know, you'll catch some lice hanging out near the ears and the ape, nape of the neck. Yep. Loitering. Where they're loitering, exactly. Up to no good. (laughs) Treatment. uh, Clothes, towels, bedding, combs, and brushes which came in contact with an infested individual can be disinfected either by leaving them outside or by washing them at high temperatures. Right. But you have to leave them outside for two days. Right. Adult lice can survive only one to two days without a blood meal and are highly dependent on human body warmth. What about the eggs? Can the eggs survive more than two days? Yes. They're encapsulated. They can survive quite a while. Oh, no. (laughs) Curse you gestation periods! Uh, There is no product or method which assures 100% destruction of the eggs and hatched lice after a single treatment. Methods with varying degrees of success include hot air. (laughs) So we're renting out Joe to blow on your scalp. Available, just go to causticgear.com. Yeah, because I'm the guy who won't shut up. (laughs) No, I'm just saying you have more hot air than any others. Uh. Silicone-based lotions. Oh. Natural products. Tea tree oil is found to be the most effective natural ingredient in laboratory tests. Tea tree. I know. Who to thunk there's finally one of these natural kind of remedy <laughs> sources of things that actually does stuff? Yeah. Tea tree oil. Who knew? Well, most medicines come from natural sources. Yeah, and it's, they're not hard to get. I mean, you're pulling off the tea bags anyway, right? Yeah. And then just squeeze <laughs> the tree and get some oil out of it. Yeah, exactly. Just wring it out. Yeah. Shaving of the infested area. Very effective in getting rid of them. Done. Nothing left to hang on to. <laughs> you still got hair on your head, Joe. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> and chemical treatments. Uh, all effective treatments require a twofold process of killing adult lice and the eggs, yep. which need to be manually picked off one by one in order to ensure all live eggs are removed. Manually picked off lice eggs? This That's is why the lots term- of people just go for the shave. They just go shave yeah. the head. Yeah. Yep. A lice egg is called a knit. Uh-huh. Right. So yep. this is where the term 
nitpicking comes so from. Nitpicking you have to is be good. super precise and fastidious. Right. But it's uh-huh. become a negative thing. I would like somebody to nitpick me if I have nits. <laughs> yes. But generally, you don't want people to be nitpicky. Stop being so nitpicky. <laughs> I had the nitpicker's guide to Star Trek, the book, for a while. <laughs> oh. Really? So everybody on Star Trek has lice? Space lice. Yep. It's those tribbles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those nasty tribbles. Uh, many home <laughs> remedies have been... <laughs> <laughs> Many home remedies have been disproven, but sure. uh, some people still think that like they were. Like giving work. it the evil eye? Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. Okay. Uh, washing your head with vinegar, washing your head with isopropyl alcohol, washing your head with olive oil. These are things that don't work. These are things that do not work. Okay. That don't seem to have any effectiveness whatsoever, but for some reason, some people yeah. think that they I work. remember an outbreak we had at school when I was in primary school, and they used kerosene. <laughs> washing with kerosene. I hope, hopefully, the the teachers weren't smoking at the time. Oh, you know, I love the because uh, uh, you guys in Australia are a little bit uh, you know ahead of the curve when it comes to tough. So like <laughs> slapping the cigarette out of your classmate's hand. Right <laughs> now, did that work? Was kerosene something that would work? Well, it pretty much uh, took the entire <laughs> layer of skin off your head. So I think yeah, the lice uh, came with it. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Just, you just, your your uh, hair, your scalp would just kind of slough off. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> the cure is worse than the disease. Uh, yeah. But this is my personal favorite home remedy. Yes. Uh, slathering your scalp with mayonnaise or melted butter and covering it up with a shower cap. <laughs> you want to saute so, uh, the lice. <laughs> I'm saving this for my sandwich later on today. <laughs> yeah, for your love sandwich, yeah. right? It always goes good with mayo and butter. What if they like mayo? Oh, this, Nobody likes this, mayo. This blood needs mayo. What? I love mayo. Gross. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? It's like lice, like kind of backstroking through the mayo. Oh, yeah. Song. Soothing, yeah. There'll be food around the corner. Food around the corner. <laughs> can you even imagine like how much you would stink by leaving like mayonnaise on your head for a couple of days trying to like drown out these lice and it doesn't work? <laughs> and all the nicknames you'd have. <laughs> oh, yeah? Like what? A uh, mayo head <laughs> mayo comes brain. to mind. <laughs> mayo brain. Sandwich uh, scalp. Yep. See, they could just call you a dip. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. You dip.
in the history. 8,000 BCE. So 10,000 years ago. That's a long, that's that's a big history. The world's oldest known direct headlouse, a knit on a human hair, was found at an archaeological site in northeast Brazil. Was it alive? <laughs> I <laughs> suspect not. Uh, what is the uh, the lifespan of your average louse there, Gavin? Uh, if we're talking on a body, probably a couple of weeks at the most, oh. I would imagine. Right, so 10,000 years would be beating the average by quite That's, some margin. Yeah, He's, yeah. Unless it was he, sucking the blood of, I don't know, George Burns or something. <laughs> He's like the uh, Highlander of the lice. <laughs> I was thinking Ra's al Ghul. Maybe there's like a very <laughs> tiny Lazarus pit on <laughs> yeah, the guy's yeah, skull. Yeah. Or, or Vandal Savage for the <laughs> DC fans. Uh-huh. Well, Ra's al Ghul is also DC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Vandal Savage for the more obscure DC fans. There you go. <laughs> 1536 BCE, the earliest known written record of a louse treatment. The Ebers Papyrus recommends taking a mouthful of warm date meal and water and then spitting it on the skin. Hmm, date meal. Uh-huh. Yeah, here, have some food. <laughs> you know what? I took a girl out for a date meal the other day, yeah? and uh, she was kind enough to make out with me afterwards. Did, and Aww. then you did some spitting on the skin? Yeah, then I chewed, I chewed up and spit it on her skin to make sure she didn't have lice. Good. 1200 BCE. The Chinese start using mercury and arsenical compounds to control oh, body lice. Well, that would that would con- control yeah. the lice. Yeah. Cures everything you got. Yeah, yep. it, uh, it controls. The only thing it doesn't cure is death. <laughs> the body temperature is lowering rapidly. Look, the lice are going. <laughs> uh, 430 BCE, Herodotus describes how Egyptian priests prevent lice infestations. Oh. Ooh, wonder how Herodotus sounds. Mm. Uh, he sounds like Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> the priests shave themselves all over their body every other day so that no lice or any other foul thing may come to be upon them when they minister to the gods. When you do Yoda but don't do the backwards talking, it's just Grover. <laughs> it is just Grover. <laughs> well, then Herodotus sounds like Grover. Uh, so they, uh, that's uh, why you see in, in movies and television and whatnot, Egyptian priests are always bald all over to the keep lice. the lice out yep. so that they are not upon them when they minister to the gods. You don't want, okay. you don't want to have lice on you when you're ministering to the gods. You know, I kind what of, if you're administering it, to a god of lice? Oh, oh who, which one is that? Lysifer. <laughs> Lysifer. I do think if I were in a culture where like lice infestations was a big deal, I would just shave everything. Like, oh, yeah. why take that risk? No, absolutely. Get rid of it. Fifth mm-hmm. uh, to sixth century CE, one of the earliest examples of a fine toothed comb specifically designed for delousing found in an excavation in Antino, Egypt. Antino. The remains of seven headlights were found on the wooden combs. So, oh, the remains. Mm. Yep, so it worked. <laughs> 1020 CE, Ibn Sina of Avicenna. Well, that's hard to say three times Ibn fast. Ibn Sina of Avicenna, Ibn <laughs> yeah. Sina of Avicenna, Ibn Sina of Avicenna. Described the use of mercury against lice and scabies. At the same time, he also reported observations of chronic mercury toxicity. <laughs> huh. But correlation does not equal causation. You know, you know what this is? <laughs> we know that. Does this not is necessarily. Actually, this is actually. Like no, the, it's never. It never equals causation. <laughs> if there's ever correlation, it means nothing. No. <laughs> uh, this, this actually is like the first example of a Surgeon General's warning. Right? <laughs> I know? guess so, yeah. Kind of like, okay, mercury will get rid of your lice, but yeah. there is a good chance of mercury toxicity. Did I say uh, lice? I meant life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Typo. Typo. No, it's like the old timey C kind of looks like an F, there right? You go. Uh, 1240 CE, Ibn al-Batar wrote that honey will kill lice if infested children's skin is painted with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
then you have but then you have the bee infestation problem. Yeah, and the ants when you when you stop to have a picnic. Then you have to get bears to get rid of the bees. <laughs> Maybe he owned. Then you have to get dinosaurs to get rid of the bears. <laughs> Maybe he owned. Then you a... have to get comets to get rid of the dinosaurs. What a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was th- thinking maybe he just had a kink about painting children with honey. <laughs> Perhaps. Or maybe he... Uh... <laughs> like my children's sticky. <laughs> <laughs> that way they can't get away, right? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Easier to, to grab onto. Uh, 1399 CE, witnesses at the coronation ceremony for Henry IV noted that lice rushed out of the king's hair when they placed the crown. Mm-hmm. 1491 CE, the earliest known drawings of lice are from woodcuts in the first edition of oh. Hortus Sanitatus by Jacob Meidenbach. Do we have a picture of that? Is it like stick drawings? No, no, no. <laughs> They're uh, quite accurate, I think. I would love well, to see on, that right see. now. If I can find it, I will put it up on causticsodapodcast.com in the show notes. Good idea. Uh, 1664 CE, Robert Hooke published the first micrograph of a louse clinging to a human hair. Well, what is a micrograph? It's a tiny graph. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Torin. So I, sh- I, I should have known that. I'm sure it's like a, uh, you know, just a, a type of reproduction. Okay. Right? Uh, 1840- Oh, I know what it is. It's when you draw a normal size, but then you fold the paper like a million times. Okay. Is that how it works? I think so. Yeah. Uh, it's an image such as a photograph that represents the microscopic at a macroscopic scale. Oh, mm, really? 1840, head lice were so common in the schools of Brookville, Pennsylvania, they took some pretty extreme measures. They rid out the hair every two days with a comb and crack the nits between thumbnails. <laughs> they saturate- That makes that really satisfying sound. Yeah, they get that pop. With the, the vigorous pop. Yes. Uh-huh. They saturated the hair with red precipitate, a.k.a. mercuric oxide powder. <laughs> the itches was treated... The itch was treated with an ointment made of brimstone Ooh. and lard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, so the, all the kids uh, were playing night, were playing X Men, and everyone was Nightcrawler. Yeah, uh-huh. N- Nightcrawler and the Blob combined. <laughs> Many children also wore sacks of powdered brimstone about their necks as a preventive measure. Pa- sacks of powdered brimstone around, around their, their necks, and that's sulfur. So everybody's walking yeah. around stinking like rotten eggs. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I thought that was one particular curative that I thought was uh, probably. Some people really disliked it more than maybe even yeah. the lice they got, themselves. They got rid of the lice, but they were all burned as witches the next week. <laughs> this is like less than 200 years ago. We live in such a good age that we don't have to walk around with rotten egg stench sacks but around our necks. Around your neck, like literally right under yeah. your nose, yeah. right? But the great part is I could just go around farting all the time and no one would notice. Oh, <laughs> No one would call me on it. Glass half full guy over there here. You yeah. I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even be wearing the... A sack full of brimstone. I'm just like, Pfft. yeah, I got, I got brimstone, <laughs> I got brimstone all over the place. Yeah. Got my own supply. Torrance, the pants. weirdest optimist I've ever known. <laughs> He's only optimistic about horrible things. Well, what about the sound though? How would you, uh, how would you pass off the sound of the fart? Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, they don't have lot in their ears though, wouldn't they? <laughs> Torn would make sure it made a bamf sound, so everybody thought he was just teleporting. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Bamf. 1864, this is the year Louis Pasteur wrote his paper, conclusively demonstrating this theory of spontaneous generation was wrong. Right. His paper won a contest sponsored by the French Academy of Science. Hey, we're celebrating 150 years of that paper yeah, right now. Absolutely. Uh, 1945 to 1975, because of the widespread use of DDT in the United States, uh-huh. for a period of about 30 years, head lice outbreaks were quite uncommon. Right. Woohoo! Yay, DDT! <laughs> Bring it back. 
Unfortunately, after 1959, DDT usage in the U.S. declined greatly due to increased insect resistance oh. and poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, let's not forget the poisoning. So I want to flash back to the Middle Ages because they uh, they had some very interesting interesting uh, philosophies and theories about uh, lice and louse infestations. You realize that some European doctors actually thought that lice had a health benefit. Yeah. Oh, such yeah. as. Well, uh, they used lice in medieval medicine to treat maladies such as epilepsy. Okay. So, you know, you start having fits or whatnot. Lice! <laughs> to the lice brigade! <laughs> Charge of the lice brigade. <laughs> they used it to treat malaria. Okay. Right? Okay. So, <laughs> caused by mosquitoes, cured by lice. They used them for people who were suffering toothaches. I think that okay, would, no. I think this is more of the kind of like, oh yeah, your arm hurts. Well, let me punch you in the stomach, right? This is like, you know, give you something worse yeah, than I'm, the thing that you're actually I'm suffering just from. I'm trying to think of if all the, the remedies to all these things are lice. Mm-hmm. You have to have like a shelf with a <laughs> jar full of lice, except you can't because they have to exist on the human body. So you have to have like a kid or something. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the guy who holds all the lice on me. No, you well, just all take the a people lice back comb. then were pretty much rife with the things. So yeah. I don't think you really had a shortage of lice. Let's put it that yeah. way. You just walk out on the street corner and say, I'll give you a tuppence for a comb of your hair. <laughs> right. And then you just like comb it and there's like eight lice on it. And then you just comb the, um, them into the we other guy's this head. for the guy with the malaria across the street. Yeah. You would think that the doctors would notice that people with epilepsy and malaria and toothaches already had lice on them. <laughs> so how could it be a cure? Not enough. Jaundice was treated when a dozen lice were crushed and mix in, mixed into a glass of wine. Okay. So they crushed the lice. Okay. And had you drink them? I thought I thought you were going to say they crushed the lice and then you just smeared it over your body to cover up the yellowing <laughs> with the red. <laughs> yeah, so you get a rosy hue. Yeah, right. What do we, hey, Gavin? If you crushed a louse that had the Bartellum or Bar- Bartolotto yeah. or Bartonella, Bartonella, uh, <laughs> could you actually like catch the disease? If you from had drinking cuts it? on you, where you crushed it, yeah, like on your okay. hands or wherever, uh, it has to get into your bloodstream. Urinary infections were treated by introducing a myriad of live lice directly into the urethra. <laughs> I can feel it when I pee. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Pee, but, the, pee the lice away. But here's the thing. I mean, Gavin, correct me if I'm wrong, but lice wouldn't actually like to hang out in your urethra for very no, long, no, would they? No, they wouldn't. They'd just go, they'd be shoved in and then they'd just be peed straight out, probably. So or, maybe they just use them as like kind of a thing to scrape the well, inside. Well, if you got a your urinary infection, are you are you peeing when you have a urinary infection? Yeah, that's yes, true. Yes, but it actually, burns yeah. when you pee. Yeah, right. Yeah, but it hurts a lot. So yeah. maybe I guess peeing out a couple extra lice wouldn't really hurt that much more. <laughs> and they were just like instead of sticking like kind of the uh, the chimney cleaner up there, you know, <laughs> you yeah. just stick a bunch of lice up there, and then you know they act kind of like they're like. They're trying to grab on with their claws to anything they can find, and they just scrape the insides. Now and I'm picturing how a sick tiny. Would the, how ill would the person have to be to consider to doing it? It's idea? like, you know, oh yeah, well, like, I've got a kidney infection. It really hurts. I think I'll put some lice up my dick. It's like you know, <laughs> I'm just picturing like a dirty, you know, kind of soot-covered oh. louse with a with a brooms <laughs> and a top hat sitting on top of a erect penis. Plunging down. Oh, God. Yeah, maybe you'd have like a little glass tube and you just like blow them in there or something. Oh. 
Sure, why not? Oh, that's that's completely sanitary. <laughs> or a funnel with a tiny, tiny little opening in the bottom. <laughs> Many medieval doctors believe that any child capable of sustaining a viable community of headlights must have been robust and healthy and have vigorous blood. Sure, because <laughs> you're you're that much yummier, right? Yeah. Well, you know? that's yeah, kind of logical, I guess. If you're right. healthy enough to sustain hundreds of parasites, then. You know, so then I guess, yeah, you're probably in pretty good shape overall. Well, if you're good enough for the lice, you're good enough for me, I guess. <laughs> well, that's, a, uh, that's a new adage. <laughs> I have a quote here from Hans Zinser's book, Rats, Lice, and History. The custom prevailing in Herdenborg, Sweden, Herdenborg. where in the Middle Ages a mayor was elected in the following manner. The persons eligible sat around a table with their heads bowed forward, allowing their beards to rest on the table. A louse was then put in the middle of the table, and the one into whose beard the louse first adventured was the mayor for the ensuing year. I just I just imagine the guy with the longest beard is going to win. Oh, but maybe they just make sure that the tip of the beard is, oh, they're all equidistant. Okay. Right? Okay, you don't just put your chin on the table and yeah. go in as far as you can. Yeah, no, no, no. Here's the thing. Maybe Do you want to is... be mayor if you're going to have a louse infestation, though? I'd be like, uh, pulling my head back slowly as the lice well, no, comes towards me. I think maybe this is pointing out that nobody really wanted the job, Yeah. right? So, like, yeah. you know, this was, it was kind of more of a punishment than anything else. It's like, oh, God, I have to be mayor? Ugh. Bring forth the municipal louse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, of choosing <laughs> one louse one vote <laughs> you could do a lot worse than choosing politicians in this day and age and using have, this method and then you have that awkward that awkward session where they put the louse in the middle and it just kind of sits there <laughs> come on let's go i gotta be somewhere at six i don't think there's any danger of that gavin right i mean the louse is gonna make a run for the border once he's put in the middle of a table right? if we try to update this to make it gender neutral what are women gonna have to put on the table Uh oh well hair Oh yeah. 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 Well, no. We could just start doing this with pubic lice. There you yeah, go. There That's you go. That Everyone is... put their junk on the table. <laughs> that is where I was thinking of going. <laughs> I love this. I think we should bring it back. <laughs> this will be the first instance of our powdered wig segment. <laughs> Oh, yeah. We will now have in every show. Okay. All right. Perfect. <laughs> Is that going to be, that's going to be the thing we're going to do when we do a TV show? We're all going to wear powdered wigs. <laughs> yes. yes. The peruke. Okay. AKA powdered wig. <laughs> okay. All right. So another name for a powdered wig. I like it. I'm wearing a powdered wig right now. It's just not on my head. Though. I thought it was a chess <laughs> reference at first. Peruke? Yeah. I killed him per the rook. <laughs> Started to gain popularity as a result of syphilis. What? By 1580, the STI had become the worst epidemic to strike Europe since the Black Death. An infinite multitude of syphilis patients clogged London, London's hospitals. Without today's antibiotics, victims face the full brunt of the disease. Open sores, rashes, blindness, dementia, and patchy hair loss. Okay. Baldness became widespread. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. At the time, long hair was a trendy status symbol. So any hair loss was extremely embarrassing. Well, none of that. Like, uh, you know, if you've got the patchy hair loss, you're not going to get get down with the ladies so much. Exactly. Which is how you got it in the first place. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> the vicious circle. Yeah. When Samuel Pepsis's brother mm-hmm. acquired it's syphilis. Peeps. Sour Peeps' brother. We've had that corrected several times. <laughs> Where's my peeps? Oh, there he is. Hey, Sam. When he acquired and required syphilis, Samuel wrote... Of his brother. Of his brother. Uh, What does Samuel Peeps sound like? Where's he from? Did you just say Europe? Mel Gibson. (laughs) Mel Gibson. (laughs) 
don't don't make me try to do an Australian accent in front of the Australian <laughs> an Australian <laughs> racist accent. I just thought I was going to be angry. Uh, he's 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 English. You could do James Mason again. Oh, I'll he, do. Uh, he was a naval administrator. I'll, no, I'll do um, Gandalf. Okay. <laughs> well, Paul Pagans, <laughs> if my brother lives, he will not be able to show his head, which will be a very great shame to me. That was fantastic. Oh, wow, hold on Well a done. Samuel Pepys is upset, not that his brother is dying of syphilis, <laughs> but because his brother, his hairless brother, would yeah. be of great shame to him. <laughs> and will not be able to show his head. Good Lord, yeah. what an egomaniac. Peeps. Uh, Where's my peeps at? Yeah, well, his brother is definitely not one of his peeps, obviously. <laughs> Basically, wigs were considered a shameful necessity. Okay, all right. This all changed in 1655 when the king of France started losing his hair. Louis XIV mm-hmm. was only 17. What's 17 in Roman numerals? <laughs> uh, XVII. Was only XVII when his hair started thinning. Worried that baldness would hurt his reputation, Louis hired 48 wig makers. What? All right. Five. For, one, for one big wig? Yep. It's the world's greatest wig? Five years later, the king of England and Louis' cousin, Charles II, uh-huh. did the same thing when his hair started to gray. Both men likely had syphilis. All right, okay. Well, you B- know, BTW, because uh-huh. kings kings got to get it on with lots of ladies. Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. that's why you're the king. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm the king. <laughs> Courtiers and other aristocrats immediately started to copy the two kings, and the style trickled down to the upper middle classes. Europe's newest fad was born. Trickle right, down course, economics. If the kings are the only ones in the court wearing wigs. You know, they kind of stand out like a sore thumb. They probably, like, kind of threw the stink eye at the lords and ladies, like, don't you think my wig is cool? Right. <laughs> it's the coolest, isn't it? As opposed to, like, this right. sign of shameful syphilitic uh, fever, right? True. Mm. The popularity of perukes remained for much longer than most fashion trends because they were also a practical solution to another common problem, headlights. Ah, full circle. Headlights were ubiquitous. And nitpicking was painful and time-consuming. Yeah, I can imagine. Wigs meant lice stopped infesting people's natural hair, which had to be shaved for wigs to fit, and camped out on wigs instead. Delousing a wig was much easier than delousing a head of hair. Right, yeah, of course. You could just send the dirty headpiece to a wig maker who would boil the wig. Oh, I thought we were going to put in that pink can shaker again. <laughs> just yeah. like have them flung to the four corners of the room, right? And remove the nits. So they would like take the wig and then boil it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would take care of the lice, wouldn't it? Boiled wig. And then make a delicious soup. Can you imagine how bad got a some boiled wig stock wig, for you right here? A boiled wig would smell. Uh, it would smell awful, I'm sure. As the cost of wigs increased, wigs eventually became a popular way to flaunt wealth. Oh, okay, so now it becomes a status symbol. An everyday wig cost about 25 shillings, which was a week's pay for a common Londoner. Uh-huh. The bill for large, elaborate ones ballooned to as high as 800 shillings. What? So 32 times as much. The term big okay. wig oh, okay. was coined to describe snobs who could afford big, poofy perukes. <laughs> <laughs> so what did it, what would it have to be to be an eight hundred shilling wig? Like was it laced with gold? Was it you know did did, did a small family it was like live a topiary in it? just like shaped like an elephant or something? <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it actually made it. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, and then there was there's, it's like those gift cards that you open up in the back and yeah. the song comes out. <laughs> it's got it's got all the frills, all the bells and whistles. Yeah. in my wig, literally. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> ding ding. 
Among women in the French court of Versailles in the mid to late 18th century, large, elaborate, and themed wigs, <laughs> such as boat poofs, mm-hmm. were in vogue. I, I can totally see what that looks like in my head. Yeah. We are going to put pictures of boat poofs up on the website. I want to see a picture For of a boat poof right sure. now. I can totally. It's going to be a huge schooner. Yeah, here we go. Check <laughs> here that. Here we go. Nice. It's actually the shape yeah. of a boat. Yeah. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that's real. So with this one. It actually says, a coiffure à l'independence. It says, a hairstyle of independence and triumph of liberty. That's got to be fake. <laughs> uh, Did they christen the boats love- with a bottle of champagne on the side of the person's head? Is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> In France, these coiffures became symbolic of the decadence of the French nobility, and for that reason quickly became out of fashion from the beginning of the French Revolution in 1789. Oh, maybe that's why they started with the beheadings. They just wanted their wigs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Then realized that you could just like pop them off. They're like, we take the whole head. In 17... <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah. So, and then I'll just put the yeah, head so the on top of my head. the commoners wore the head and the ship, so they had an even bigger coiffure. <laughs> nice. In 1795, the British government levied a tax on hair powder of one guinea per year, which effectively caused the demise of the fashion for wigs and powder. Oh, nice. Taxes brought down wigs. So let's see. Uh, a, sh- a guinea is 20 shillings. So that's basically what the cost of one of the cheap wigs would be, the, the one week's wages. So that doesn't seem like a terribly high price to pay, but maybe people at this point were just looking for an excuse to yeah. stop wearing them. They're like, uh, we're kind of over these wigs. Oh, powder tags? I'm done with this. Screw this. Whew. Uh, I've got a story here about Archbishop Thomas Beckett. The Archbishop of Canterbury. In 1170, he excommunicated several of his opponents in the church. King Henry II reacted to Beckett's actions by famously stating, Will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? <laughs> okay. Which, right. which four of his knights interpreted as a royal command and murdered him in the cathedral in front of a congregation. Ooh, I thought nice. they were just going to go with, he's not allowed to fly anymore. <laughs> Edward Grimm, who was himself injured in the attack, recounts it as such. The wicked knight leapt suddenly upon him, cutting off the top of the crown. Next, he received a second blow on the head, but still he stood firm and immovable. At the third blow, he fell on his knees and elbows, offering himself a living sacrifice and saying in a low voice, For the name of Jesus and the protection of the church, I am ready to embrace death. Not so immovable now. Ready to embrace death when you've been hit three times in the head already? I think you're just kind of like coming to the logical conclusion. Uh, Maybe what he actually said was, fuck, just fucking do it. And this guy (laughs) decided to give him a nice solo at the end right. but the third knight inflicted a terrible wound as he lay prostrate by this stroke the crown of his head was separated from the head in Ooh. such a way that the blood white with the brain and the brain no less red from the blood <laughs> dyed the floor of the cathedral oh yeah yes uh, white uh, uh, white brain and red blood. You got a nice pink paint going on. There. Oh, yeah, okay. The same clerk who had entered with the knights placed his foot on the neck of the holy priest and precious martyr and scattered the brains and blood about the pavements, Ooh. crying to the others, let us away, knights. This fellow will arise no more. Wow, you actually scattered the brains. Uh, that's kind of like... Just to that, make sure. That's right. like the medieval version of, uh, put. I tell my boys, put two in the brain. Uh, I always put one in the brain. Uh. The archbishop wore many layers of clothing, and when monks of Canterbury removed his vestments, they discovered he wore a, sh- a hair shirt infested with lice and riddled with maggots. Oh, a hair shirt. God. The skin on his chest ripped to shreds as they prepared his body for burial. The cold English air stimulated so many of the lice occupying his hair suit that it, quote, 
boiled over them like water in a simmering cauldron. <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> well, I know I know for a fact you wear hair shirts. It's kind of like a flagellation thing. Like, it irritates the skin and like, kind of yeah. rubs it raw. So a hair shirt is not a euphemism for anything. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. It's, you didn't have a full Baldwin. A hair shirt is a garment or undergarment made of coarse cloth or animal hair worn close to the skin. It was used in religious traditions to induce discomfort or pain as a sign of repentance and attach and atonement. So maybe it's like being covered with beards. So yeah, but yeah, yeah, really bristly beards. Yeah, Uh, but so maybe he felt like he didn't delouse or demaggot. Yeah, because obviously the maggots were in his wounds. I'm guessing so. But you know, keeping his wounds actually clean, right? Of infections? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, well, they do that today, He right? wouldn't get gangrene because they'd yeah. eat it? Yeah. yeah. I imagine, yeah. like, a hair shirt would be would feel like after you have a haircut and you just don't ever get out of that shirt that you had your haircut in. With all the little scratchy <laughs> all the little bits? little scratchy, yeah. tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah only times like 10,000. So maybe he felt like leaving the maggots and the lice in his vestments was part of, like, the flagellation oh, yeah. process. Yeah, absolutely. I think absolutely Probably he true. didn't even know there were maggots in it. Because oh. he wore like nine uh, layers of clothing, and they n- almost never took them off. Right. So uh, I'd, I'd I'd be surprised if you even knew that he was infested with maggots. You'd have like a human child in there, and you wouldn't know it. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> hey, where'd that altar boy go? I don't know. I'm just dragging around your coattails, right? <laughs> Yeah, maybe whatever he like, you know. What's that noise? <laughs> when one of his layers of clothes got infested with lice, he just put like another one on. Right? Yeah. You know? it was God, like, it's so fucking hot in here. Open a window. <laughs> it's like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Lice House. The, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Archbishop. Yeah. No, I mean, like, uh, this is pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah, like, you would, if you had, like, when you started to die and you're clothes boiled over like water from a cauldron <laughs> you had to know that you were crawling with lice right yeah, like, and he had a name for each one of them oh you know what i bet you if he sat down it would have like felt like he was in a massage chair <laughs> right just like the constant undulation yeah, underneath yeah, yeah. his clothing yeah. right just like oh you know uh, uh it just maybe felt like the hands of god were constantly massaging him right <laughs> ugh, 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 this makes you want to puke well, we can, uh, out of the Middle Ages into the modern era, Gavin, you have a story from delousing stations in World War II that you wanted to talk about. Indeed, yes, um, because once the uh, the front found out that uh, lice were uh, causing the typhus, they uh, treated them with the various insecticides, and it was very regimented. So here is, uh, this is from the account of a Private James Brady of the British Army in World War II. I think mm-hmm. no, no World War One. Yes, he's he was captured by the Germans and put in a uh, a prison camp. So right. here we go. Oh, so this is actually the German delousing. Yes, this process. is German delousing rather okay. than British. So are you going to do a German accent or a British accent? Oh well, he's a British prisoner, so I'll, I'll do a um, I'll do a the traditional caustic soda terrible accent, but I'll do a Excellent. British one. Yes, um, perfect. Fashioned out of some ancient farm buildings as high-roofed barns on the fridge of the camp, it was manned by a forbidding horde of untidy Hun, garbled in long off-white short-sleeved gowns, each armed with odd collections of gadgets, hair clippers, scissors, razors, safety and otherwise, scrubbers, hand brushes, loofers, sponges, rough-hued towels, huge blocks of disgusting-smelling soap, and large canisters of equally evil-smelling disinfectant. 
Although the joint looked like something designed by a demented Rube Goldberg, um, <laughs> and people by people by a gang of mentally disturbed sadists intent on inflicting injury to any of us in sight. Furthermore, each of them had a horrible grin on their face. <laughs> We did not like the looks of this one bit, but it turned out to be quite a comedy. Suddenly, a giant of a fearsome-looking Hun guardsman screamed out the one word we all understood. Strip! Then, at a signal from this giant, the good-natured torturers descended upon us with something akin to glee, with their rusty, dull-bladed clippers and shavers first, until with the swish of a whisker we were reduced to the bald bareness of our birthday. The, the, scene was, the scene was bizarre in the extreme and not lost on those of us with a sense of the humours. But that was only the beginning. A few shouted words of command from the senior officers and we were ushered shivering with cold into the main building and shunted through a badly lit maze of narrow duck-boarded corridors and cubicles where for a further full 30 minutes we were drenched with fountains of hot and cold water from every angle, steamed with jets of scalding vapour, scrapped, soaked, so soaked, submerged in cauldrons of slimy oil, bombarded with torrents of water again, battered with rough towels, branched with canvas sacking, finally propelled headfirst into a huge bath of soothing water before being disgorged, pink, panting and steaming into a barn-like room, <laughs> there to be handed over to our with our uniforms, now stiff and hot from the dry heat ovens, and stinking of disinfectant, which reminded me of the ablutions at another horrible camp I was at on inspection day. It may be said that as we recovered our breath and dressed ourselves in our clean lice for uniforms, everyone felt there was a good deal to commend German delousing methods. <laughs> <laughs> it was the nearest approach to bliss in captivity we'd experienced, and we could only concur when the German orderly smiled at us and said, Is good, yeah? <laughs> you know, pink panting and steaming kind of sounds like a series of porno movies. Yes, mm, well, yeah. the, the the photos accompanying it are rather uh, revealing, shall we say, of lots of uh -huh. lots of uh, young soldiers getting naked and paddled. So, uh... well, here's the question. Here's the question on the German side: Is lice duty considered a punishment, or <laughs> would some actually kind of find it entertaining? Yes. You know, the, some of them might have liked it uh, during a, the monotony a little, of war a little more than others. No, the actual because it could yeah, be seen as a punishment duty. Oh, uh, <laughs> you're you've been you instead of scrubbing pots, you're going to go to the delousing station and delouse British soldiers. What if you're just the guy at the end who says, "It's good, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one plum job at the end of it. <laughs> Jumping forward a little bit to World War Two. Unit 731 was a covert biological and chemical warfare research and development unit of the Imperial Japanese Army. During the Second Sino-Japanese War and World War II, 1937 to 1945, it was officially known as the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department. Oh. So, sounds good, right? Yeah. In 1932, General Shiro Ishii, chief medical officer of the Japanese Army, was placed in command. Ishii organized a secret research group called the Togo Unit. Togo. For various chemical and biological experiments in Manchuria, China. Oh. Ishii proposed the biological and chemical experiments on the grounds that Western powers were also developing their own programs. Sure, we, they're doing it, so we got to do it. That's right. We wouldn't do it otherwise. <laughs> no, no. No, absolutely not. Test subjects were gathered from the surrounding human population were referred to euphemistically as logs. Okay. This term originated as a joke because the official cover story given to local authorities for the facility was that it was a lumber mill. Ah, okay. I see. So they had to collect logs for the lumber mill. Right. Mm -hmm. the, those wacky Japanese and their senses of humor <laughs> right before they commit genocide. Uh, the test subjects were selected to give a wide cross-section of the population and included anti-Japanese partisans, oh. common criminals, uh -huh. 
political prisoners right. as well as people rounded up for suspicious activity, mm-hmm. heavily air-quoted on that one, okay. uh, including infants, the elderly, and pregnant women. Although I can't think of anyone more suspicious than infants. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's like they're crying I have crying to agree with that. What are they crying about? You know? They're babbling in that code language of this. Ah, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> what are they hiding in those diapers anyway? Uh, goo goo, ga ga ga, goo goo, ga ga ga. <laughs> yeah, it's Morse code, right? Yeah, or they're uh, 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 hidden messages in the poop in their in their nappies. And when they get a little bit older, they're obviously spies because all they ask is why, <laughs> why, 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 they or just mine, everything, mine. Yeah, yeah, that's German. Right there. From the book Six-Legged Soldiers, Insects as Weapons of War by Jeffrey A. Lockwood. Unit 731 loaded lice carrying typhus into bombs and dropped them into Chinese villages. Uh, Stockpiles of bioweapons eventually discovered at Unit 731's Hangzhou department included 150 pounds of lice, lovingly (laughs) hand-reared and potent with typhus. 150 pounds of lice. Lovingly hand-reared. That's like 330 Kilos. Better be f- of tens, lice. tens of thousands of lice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many lice in a pound? <laughs> a lot. A lot. I mean, they're like they're so small that you, yeah, they're like you have to like size, look for them. So, yeah. 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 So we're talking lots of lice. Lovingly hand reared. Do you think they all had names and everything like that? <laughs> yeah. The, like the guy at the end. Of, I, I hate to let you. I hate to see you guys go. Godspeed, you little lice. <laughs> yeah. What would be the go perfect name for individual lice? You know, would you just call them all Bob? Bob like, one, Bob two, and yeah. typh- typhusy and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm imagining some kind of uh, Batman villain type guy who just like his entire life is dedicated to these lice and loves them and hates that they're uh, like going to get delisted. The nibbler. <laughs> like the, the yeah. nibbler. Uh, unit 1644 in Nanking also specialized in mass producing lice. They infected them with typhus and released them in human populations. Records indicate that louse bombing was found to be not as effective as the plague flea initiative. Mm. Well, oh, these man. are important things well, to determine. Well, lice, plague... lice have to crawl. They can't hop like a flea can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Slower. Yeah. Yeah. The, the plague flea group must have just held it over the lice group. You know, oh, experiments are better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the theory was that many of the lice were unable to find hosts quickly enough before <laughs> succumbing to starvation or the typhus themselves. Oh, so right. So typhus actually kills the lice too. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> kind of. They're, they're they have kamikaze bugs too. <laughs> well, lice only <laughs> lice only live for two weeks, right? How long does it take for typhus to kill you? Uh, well, like two weeks. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say that they they die very quickly after um, you know passing it on to a human host. Mm-hmm. Right in the news. Come on, Gavin. <laughs> January 2013. Over the past decade, doctors have noticed a dramatic decrease in reported cases of pubic lice due to the rise in popularity of pubic grooming in both men and women. Sure. <laughs> the destruction of their natural habitat started in the 90s with a popular trend of Brazilian waxing. Pubic lice are currently facing the equivalent of, of an environmental disaster. Uh-huh. Good fuck them. <laughs> the global market for depilatories has seen sales increase at an average of 7.6% a year wow. and was worth $4.69 billion in 2012. In a study by Gale and Pettipiece, they note that more than 80% of college students in the U.S. remove all or some of their pubic hair. Oh. In the U.K., a 2005 study found 99% of women older than 16 remove some or all of their hair from the leg and pubic area. In Australia, Sydney's main sexual health clinic hasn't seen a woman with pubic lice since 2008. 
and male cases have fallen by 80%. So uh, pubic lice are like on the verge of extinction in the Western world. Boo. Someone needs to start (laughs) refusing the Brazilian so that we can get the lice back. Wait, wait. So you're booing this as an entomologist or as an appreciator of bush? Uh, Well, uh, both. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Besides, what if we need to make more typhus bombs? Oh, and down the road. Oh, science can oh, bring no, back pubic lice. lice don't carry typhus. Body lice do. Oh. So screw pubic lice. All right. All they do is they look scary. Mm, but they're cute. Mm, no, I, no, Kevin, you're wrong. No. They're not cute. No. They're <laughs> little monsters. This is, uh, this is a win-win, that's what I say. We had a note from uh, a prior guest, Yvonne Marin, an, a fellow down underer, mm-hmm. who said, pointed out to us that... Uh, well, I'm going to do her Australian accent. Oh, boy. <laughs> she was our expert on bats. Mm-hmm. If this sounds like uh, Merida from Brave, I'm just going to lose it. <laughs> I went to a comedy gig by the Ugly Animal Preservation Society in which five speakers tried to persuade the audience to vote for the nominated endangered ugly animal. One talked about human pubic lice. Scientists have put it on the endangered species list because the prevalence of Brazilians is effectively wide-scale habitat loss. Deforestation. Right. That was actually not bad. Well done. Huh? Yeah. It was. I look. <laughs> listen. I was expecting Merida from Brave. Listen, yeah, it wasn't Meryl Streep. Let's put it that way. No. Here, I'll, I'll speak in a language you recognize. Throw another lice on the Barbie. <laughs> Throw another lice on the Barbasol. <laughs> so on the Barbicide. I, interestingly enough, I found out from researching this episode that uh, there are a lot of TV shows that have done an episode about lice. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, pop culture, we're jumping straight into South Park. Yeah. Uh, they have an episode called The Lice Capades. Oh, man, I love that, <laughs> that episode. That was a really good episode, yeah. Third episode of the 11th season, Cartman devises a test to tell who had head lice and caused the infestation in the class, <laughs> mimicking the test in the film The Thing, uh-huh. one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> he rigs it to frame Kenny, who he assumes has lice because he's poor. <laughs> They regularly cut to the perspective of the lice, which has a parallel storyline going with the head of their hair environment. It's genius. That is the part that's genius. I actually actually watched a version of this episode that had a commentary track from Matt and Trey. Oh. (laughs) They said that they actually wanted the lice to overact with over-the-top lines, like in a Bruckheimer film, because it's a lice post-apocalypse movie. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's the I, habitat loss deforestation kind of It thing. shows yeah. how Matt and Trey absolutely understand the core important parts of storytelling, mm-hmm. even when it's a ridiculous type of storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Like, they nailed that post-apocalyptic movie. It was so good. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, it's a funny episode. I mean, you can certainly, uh, I recommend it, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even as a person who's not a South Park fan, I did enjoy that episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, King of the Hill had a episode called Be True to Your Fool, which is the 19th episode of the seventh season. Uh, the main characters of the, ep- of the show are all upset when their heads start feeling itchy. And lice was passed on to them by Bill. Hank, Dale, and Boomauer shun Bill and refuse to even drink beer with him anymore. When Hank shaves his head, he is horrified to discover that he has a tattoo of Bill's name on his scalp. Which he has to get lasered off. Yeah, I've seen that. It's been a while, though. It was really, the lice really only kind of factored into the first, like, five minutes. And it was kind of just the launching off point for all the rest of the plot. Yeah, and then they tried to remember how he got the, why he got the tattoo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's sort of like, the the story kind of went up on a tangent. I'm not a fan of King of the Hill as a general rule. And this one didn't really, like, convince me otherwise. It kind of celebrates rednecks rather than spoofing them. (laughs) Yeah, no, Absolutely. 
one of our listeners, Jesper Myfors, pointed out. Jesper Myrfors. Jesper Myrfors. Myrfors. Okay. Pointed out that one episode of the U.S. Office has an episode called Lice, (laughs) in which Pam gets lice from her daughter Cece and brings them into the office, but lets Meredith take the fall while Dwight vows to destroy the parasites. Dwight dons a hazmat suit, but accidentally exposes himself to a hallucinogenic bug bomb that causes him to faint. Several members of the office, due to advice from Aaron, cover their head in mayonnaise to try and suffocate them. <laughs> it's a yeah, good scene. Yeah, absolutely. This was a funny episode, too. And yeah. anything that Dwight Schrute does, I find hysterical. <laughs> so when he bomb- bug bombs himself yeah. in, the, uh, in the conference room, yeah. it's pretty hysterical. I laughed out loud by myself in my house. So that's always a good sign. I'm a big officer. Yeah. <laughs> So, Gavin Pitts, always a pleasure, my good man. You Indeed. know, you, uh, uh, you bring that, uh, that flavor from down under that we appreciate so much for all of our listeners from the other side of the globe. It's a refreshing eucalyptus flavor. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startle to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling. An ominous feeling. A feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you'll want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being sacrificed to an ancient Aztec god. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, at Caustic Podcast, and email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Nixie. Thanks for listening. Help all pagans!